TNT Audio Publishing presents The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles by T.L. Dawnstar. Written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. Book 1.0 The Universe Code. Chapter 13 The Forever Forest The fire was dying, so Carl retrieved the soiled copies of Hypergate Scale Modeler Illustrated from Terry's saddlebags, balled them up, and threw them into the flames. He fired two phase blaster bolts into the inferno for good measure. In previous times, Carl would have been remiss to burn such sentimentally valuable objects. But something had changed in him since he'd entered the Vellum Cluster and lost his eye. He'd become darker, grittier, and significantly less able to brag about his excellent peripheral vision. The nights on Elthinica were freezing, and if he was going to make it through, there was no room for reminiscing about Roger Pulsar's excellent editorial regarding the relative merits of innovative bioadhesives versus the more traditional chemical compounds with particular regard to drying speed and overall hold on some of the larger laser-cut kits, which to Carl was the absolute highlight not only of issue 42, but Roger's entire writing career. Nor could there be any room for the memory of issue 50's definitive top 10 list of medium-sized display stands put together by the veteran-scale model journalist Salak Zlivlix, which remained to this day a crucial touchstone for anyone actually serious about the hobby and not time-wasters like that idiot Keith Alpha. Footnote. Keith Alphonse Alpha served as board president for the Brazil chapter of The Scalers, the galaxy's preeminent fan-run scale model club. He beat Carl in three consecutive elections until it was revealed he'd squandered subscription fee money on a job lot of basing materials and a new gunjark skin tool roll. The resulting political scandal also uncovered the shocking truth that Keith's award-winning diorama of the Battle of New Horlocks had in fact been assembled by his older brother Jeremy, with assistance from his uncle Yako. The bright purple light shone brightly across the small camp Dark Cruiser and Felicity had set up after they'd taken turns digging a big hole in the desert to hide Deborah's mechanical body in. Carl winced a little as he remembered the manic smile and breathless giggle that enveloped Phobos when she gleefully dumped the headless carcass, neck first and legs akimbo, into the pit. He winced a little more when he remembered the little hop of joy that had followed it. The wincing reached maximum voltage when he recalled what she did after that little hop. My gods, he thought frightenedly. Where did she even get that rubber tube? By the time the body was fully buried, the suns were setting, and the chilly fingers of a fatally cold desert night had begun to caress the rapidly cooling dunes. And in only tens of starmins, that caress would become a deadly ice-cold poke. Carl had saddled up Terry, and Felicity hijacked Deborah's modified wave bike, and the pair headed northwest to the edge of the distant forest to set up camp. He looked up across the fire to see his newly resurrected intermittent quest buddy wrangling with a dense nest of mangled wires while simultaneously fumbling cack-handedly with the miniature las cutter. She could tell he was staring at her, and she didn't like it one bit, but she had a job to do and she'd be damned if some slack-jawed space jockey was going to put her off. But it was no good. 
Her concentration had been smashed to pieces by his gormless gawping, and Phil knew that if she didn't spend the next few paragraphs slowly and carefully explaining what had happened to her in the four and a bit months since her escape from the Calaxians, he'd never stop asking stupid questions about it. She set down the cyber head and placed the las cutter on the damp ground next to it. All right then, you want the lowdown on the Lazarus gig, huh? She asked in her well-worn old earth patter. He nodded, assuming she meant she was going to spend the next few paragraphs slowly and carefully explaining what had happened to her in the four and a bit months since her escape from the Carlaxians. But he could never be sure exactly what she was trying to say because of the ridiculous way that she talked. Here's the skinny. Try to keep up, okay, doll? She lit a synthsig and leaned back, resting her lower back on the detached head of her mechanical matriarch. So, after the crocs pulled us in with the tractor beam, there wasn't a snowball's chance in hells I was sticking around to get eaten, or worse, lectured on water feature semiotics. So while you were taking an all-expenses-paid trip to Snoozeville, I'd sludged an access tube panel and crawled around until I found my way to the sauna. Carl looked amazed and intensely irritated. He knew the odds of the fully armoured battle cruiser having a top-of-the-range sauna were pretty high. After all, one of the major selling points and key marketing messages of the Type 65 Holovid campaign had been its vast array of spa-based facilities, but in his time on the ship, he'd been unable to locate them. After a quick hour and a half steam and a few cocktails in the swim-up bar, she continued, I hightailed through the access tubes and found myself in the cockpit. Figured I'd give the thrusters a go, but that wackadodo computer of yours was on the straight and narrow, and the engines had taken a long walk off a short docking platform. I reset the computer's vocal processor because the accent was driving me crazy, and headed for the cargo bay. Look, I don't need a blow-by-blow. Just tell me how you got off the ship, and what's up with the hand? You old-timers sure have a short attention span. Carl grumbled to himself, which, to be fair, gave off a very cranky old man vibe, even though, in reality, he only had a couple of cycles on her. To cut a long story, and my arm short, I managed to squeeze through an exhaust port and into the Calaxian ship, right into a less torch-wielding monster, who, it is fair to say, was less than delighted by my presence. We fought, and, well... She caressed her hand and winced. The potent memory of the white-hot blade slicing through flesh and bone shot up her arm like a deadly chill. I'd be dead if it wasn't for your man Cayman. He gave that son of a bitch a damn fine whack with a hyper wrench, and as more of them piled in, he held them off while I made a run for it. The rest involves a commandeered self-piloting transport container, several phony ident chips, and a trip to the cloning vats of Druckel 9 for this beauty. She waved her freshly cloned hand at the astonished pirate manically. Not a fan of the cyber stuff myself. No offense, Tin Man. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm all natural, baby. Ugh, please, honey. Footnote. For the full story, pre-order The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles, Book 1.5, The Universe Cone, The Lost Chapters Special Edition Original Author's Cut. RRP, $56.99. Well, that's quite a tale, Francesca. How the hells did you find me after all of that? What makes you think I was looking for you? Here, catch. She yelled as she chucked something small and shiny at him. Pick that up for you back in the desert. Thought you might want it for a scrapbook or something. The small shiny thing flew through the air and clacked Carl square in the face meat because he was distracted by thinking about getting into scrapbooking again. He picked up the projectile that had just moments earlier ricocheted off his massive head and onto the verdant forest floor and turned it over in his left begloved hand, using his equally begloved right hand to soothe the throbbing in his forehead. The bullet was one of dyslexic Deborah's all right. Dark Cruiser could just make out his own mangled name scrawl across the bullet's severely dented and malformed surface. It read, Kral Drak Cruiser. He stared at it in silence for a few moments, 
<sighs> Almost, old friend. Almost. He sighed mournfully in his head. As silent as Carl was, the camp around him was anything but, as the sounds of Elthinica's nocturnal creatures rose to a crescendo which threatened, but failed, to drown out Felicity's incessant banging and swearing as she faffed about with the robot head. Through the deafening wall of noises that permeated the bosky surroundings, Carl felt a sudden, laser-precision thought beam slice through the clamour and into his waiting brain. The musing was not yet fully formed, but it had the potential to become quite significant. He reached into his beloved belt and produced the bullet that had killed Dank. He held it up next to the bullet that had very nearly killed himself. His old detective training struggled and whirred into action as he darted his eye between the pair of projectiles. Same caliber, same length, same width, same manufacturer, same trademark lexicographically challenged monikers. But while Carl's was as bashed up as a poorly secured patio furniture suite in a gale force wind, Dank's was as smooth as a punnet of newborn Quillian silk snakes. Hmm, he thought. Hmm, he said out loud. Hmm. He thought again, but for a bit longer. Huh? Ah. Um. Uh. Hmm? He said out loud. Just as the thought that had entered his brain just moments earlier began to stumble and shuffle into its final form, it was cruelly cut down by an obnoxious electronic squeal and an equally obnoxious <laughs> from the other side of the magazine-fueled fire. He quickly and clumsily stowed the bullets, then hopped over to Phil. She looked up at him as he did so and smiled. I reckon I've cracked it, she said proudly. Your mother's skull, you mean, counted Carl. Yeah. That's right. Recounted Felicity flatly. He looked down to see Deborah Dwarfstar's detached skull laying on its side, with a bunch of trailing wires sticking into an open access hatch around the back. The mess of fiber optic tendrils carried flashing trails of light deep into the android's complex circuit board brain. If I can just bypass her fire fence security protocols, began Felicity, I should be able to access her internal memory storage. Then, it's a simple matter of... Initiating the critical mission parameter subroutine and running it through a navigational matrix array to give us a location. Finished, Carl. Exactly, but I can't just make the dive without significant synaptic feedback from her virus protection software. What's your access point? Secondary maintenance processor. Carl made a noise that he hadn't heard come out of him since his days as the senior data protection and active target database manager for the Guild of Assassins. It was a sort of meaty grunt marinated in a snort-infused stock, wrapped in puffy layers of exasperated giggles and topped off with a thick and creamy Bernays sauce made not from butter, eggs and white wine vinegar, but scorn, derision and ridicule, served with a sarcastic side salad and garnished with a sprinkling of crunchy patronising croutons. Footnote. Tip for aspiring authors. Never write when you're hungry. It may affect the quality of your output. At the same instant, and without him willing it to, his eye initiated an enormous roll, followed by his broad shoulders slumping involuntarily in response to her lack of in-depth understanding of incredibly advanced digital cybernetic infiltration techniques. It was a sound and motion combination that every data-based cadet in the Assassin's Academy had to master by the end of day one of training, and Carl had precision engineered it into an art form. <laughs> that's your optimal interface method. You might as well try and run an integrated .hlxc file on a source version of Holopro 4.6. <laughs> he said, ending the sentence with a small pfft. 
An incredibly smug, closed-lipped smile bifurcated its way across his face, and he breathed in the pleasant aroma of his cutting and technically accurate analogy. With the enthusiasm of a medical doctor being asked to perform an impromptu mole examination on a friend of a friend in a pub, Carl grasped the nest of illuminated wires and began repositioning them, haphazardly jamming them into various ports, connectors, and inputs. After a few star mins of intense faffing, he finally managed to establish a connection between Deborah's robo-brain and the portable console Phil had brought with her. Oh, shit, he muttered. What is it? Uh, the critical mission parameter subroutine's got an auto-delete condition if the unit's offline for too long. We've got 30 seconds until the coordinates of our objective are wiped. Ugh, is there any way to terminate the procedure? Yeah, the only way is to bring her back online. Absolutely not. Do you have any idea of the airfall I get? No way. I could disable her audio processes. You best not be playing with me here, Techno Boy. Yeah, she's online now. I just need Shut to- Shut up, just listen. He heard nothing but the screeching, honking, and gargling of the forest-dwelling alien lifeforms around them. Carl Darkcruiser, you're a f***ing genius, she said with genuine affection. After a bit more fiddling about with wires and buttons and things, a 3D holographic planetary-scale map of Elthenica beamed out of Deborah's visual slit. The green glowing representation of the planet spun and increased in scale as it began to narrow in on the android assassin's final destination. Carl held his breath as the end of his long and costly journey sped ever closer and closer and closer. As the projection narrowed in on the very center of the vast forest that covered much of the planet's southern hemisphere, a small pulsating red light fluctuated amidst a vast clearing ringed by huge standing stones. Then the light moved towards a humongous ancient tree. Carl looked at Felicity, and Felicity looked at Carl. This was the closest two beings in all of galactic history had been to discovering the location of the legendary Universe Cone. They both felt the tremendous sense of occasion and responsibility blowing through them in an almighty mythic gust. Just as the final location of Deborah's mission and therefore presumably the location of the cone was coming into clear view, there was a tremendous boom, and the previously allegorical mythic gust became an all-too-real hurricane that sent Carl, Felicity, and the head of Deborah Dwarfstar flying. The hollow map flickered out, and the fire that Carl had sacrificed so many happy childhood memories to maintain was extinguished, leaving only a pervasive smoke that coated the forest clearing like a rich and fragrant tomato sauce might cover an expertly prepared and cooked pan of value mints to create an exquisitely crafted bolognese. As Felicity stumbled to her knees and attempted to regain her breath after being fully knocked on her ass next to a big tree, she could vaguely make out the shadow of a tall, hooded figure standing unfazed in the midst of the choking smoke cloud. The dark shape outstretched two pairs of arms. It held in one hand a long staff, in the other a small curvy knife, in the other a glowing orb, and floating above its final outstretched hand was the unmistakable shape of a spinning, pulsating cone. The tall, slender, four-armed figure stepped forth through the billowing plumes of thick black smoke to reveal that the tall, slender, four-armed figure was, as suspected, four-armed, but was in fact far from tall and slender. 
The being stood about 1.2192 meters tall, with pallid blue skin that darkened to a deep navy around the lifeform's three pure white eyes, two of which were placed where you'd expect, while the third perched protrudingly on the end of a long beak-like nose which stuck out like a sideways shark fin from the being's deeply wrinkled and weather-beaten face. A wild, wiry beard of matted hair, a shocking shade of luminescent red with tips of flaming orange, dominated the entirety of the lower half of the creature's long and gaunt visage. As Carl struggled to get to his feet and reach for his phase blaster, the beardy extraterrestrial twirled its long metallic staff, unleashing a devastating wave of crackling violet energy that slammed the former under-16 competitive knitting champion back down on his toned, beautifully defined and muscular buttock muscles. He felt a massive force pushing him down, preventing him from getting up. On the other side of the clearing, Felicity pawed at her left shoe in an attempt to access her emergency sonic magnum, only to be greeted by a flying wooden orb which brimmed and shook with ultraviolet light hurtling towards her and lifting her into the smoky air where she hovered immobilized. Shouted the blue alien thing. At the sound of that grating alien nonsense, loads of four-armed weirdos burst forth from the tops of trees, from beneath big rocks, and from round the back of massive bushes. All of them were bearing lengthy lengths of rough rope woven from bioluminescent tree bark. Glowing ropes whipped about the place like mishandled balloons as the blue people proceeded to quickly and proficiently restrain our heroes in tight binding knots so labyrinthine that they rivaled the complex administrative procedures implemented at the Galactic Council's notoriously bureaucratic AGMs. Before Carl could even think, he found himself bound and upside down with his shapely legs spread-eagled against the broad ancient trunk of an elthinic keckle tree. He strained to turn his rapidly blood-filling head to see Felicity tied up in the thick brown tangle of a spiky hedge. At the sight of its master trussed up like a sacrificial goat or human, Terry kicked off. It flung its four pairs of legs high into the air in a flurry of flesh, metal and bone that pounded several of the creatures smack bang in the side of their tiny hairy heads. The hooded figure vanished in a blinding puff of orange smoke only to reappear a nanosecond later with his top left arm outstretched mere centimeters from the beast's pissed-off face. He cooed calmingly, and it was as if his words emitted some kind of airborne tranquilizing ray that soaked into the angry animal's brain. The beast was soothed and gently lay down on the mossy ground, resting its big weird head at the base of a big weird tree. The aliens muttered something to each other in their ridiculous language, and Carl had the strange feeling that he was beginning to understand them. Like a moth-bitten curtain being pulled back to slowly reveal an underwhelming amateur dramatic society production of a perfunctory and predictable murder mystery, the true horror of what awaited him and Felicity began to dawn on him. Bik, Talmoluk, Tree. Lalukatola. Balls. Shabuk Ikish. High Priestess. Zupra Lukal. Ritual. Of the few words he could make out, it was fair to say he didn't like the sound of any of them, except maybe High Priestess. For some reason, he'd always been very successful with women of the cloth, 
and as his mind wandered in a desperate attempt to recall the name of the Tolivian hypernun who'd once fully given him the eye in a smoky backwater watering hole on Relic Station, he felt the glowing rope tighten across his semi-soft body. He had no idea how it was he could understand the bizarre dialect. He had at best a middling grasp of GBE, Galactic Base English, and knew little more than how to order a non-alcoholic slippery nipple in a handful of other alien tongues. Furthermore, he had stubbornly refused for decades to purchase an omni-translator device, as he always liked to think of himself as a man who let his actions, fists, and laboriously shouted English words do the talking. The robed and three-eyed alien who appeared to be in charge approached Felicity with the cautious gait of a moderately pissed uncle returning to a lit firework at a doomed-to-fail New Cycle Eve party. His pure white ball of an eye slightly protruded from his nose tip and swiveled up and down, giving the hedge-subsumed reporter a proper going over. Dare you bring Metal Beast Forest inside, Sacredver? grumbled the freakish little man, in what could be generously described as syntactically innovative GBE. Sick what you here, human. I'll give you two guesses. It's round at the bottom, pointy at the top, and I bet the farm that you're holding it in your hand right there. She snapped back, seemingly not at all confused why she could now sort of understand him. Ah, the Talik Halik Zokfar securities. Easy for you to say. Known in that the tongue common it is, being lesser... It called Cone Universe, the... It motioned to the spinning cone-shaped glowing object hovering above his lower left hand. Alas, not his thing this seek for you, which Knowledge of the Talikalikotsafa is not for the giving, but only for the earning. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Chipped in Carl from across the clearing. He was more than a little irked that the hooded alien had chosen to address Felicity rather than him, as he was clearly the main character here. Soon, the blue alien thing said back. Lamb take. The woman was bathed in shadow. Not that that made any difference to what Carl or Felicity could see, as they both had had roughly woven sacks roughly shoved over their respective and vastly different sized heads. She sat on a massive wicker throne in the cavernous base of a hollowed out ancient tree. Around her flickering flames flickered feverishly in the nasty draft that whistled through the poorly insulated chamber. Glowing moss and bits of sticks were clearly no match for a good quality quantumly treated plasteel fiber or good old fashioned asbestos, mused Carl. Dark Cruiser began mentally pricing up a proper thermo-insulation job for the tree, but was interrupted by a sudden outbreak of chanting from the amassed aliens. Silence! Bellowed the woman. Her bellowing shout echoed through the cavernous environment, leading to admonished looks on the faces of the small blue aliens who had dragged Carl and Felicity through the misty moors, over the gloomy glens, round the back of the surprisingly located Greggs, and into the heart of the pervasive perennial plant. The scream had come out significantly higher pitched than she'd intended, somewhat diminishing its potency. By now, Mother Althinica's psycholinguistic field should have granted you the honor of understanding Talva, the holy language of the Forever Forest. 
And so, it falls to me to inform you that you stand accused of violating the most sacred of Elthinican laws. Listen, lady, I don't know what you're talking- Silence! Screamed the woman again, this time modulating her pitch for maximum effect. Behold, as Mungo Penfold, sacred custodian of the ancient office of executive assistant, brings forth the object of damnation. A gleaming gleam shone out through the semi-dark of the hollowed-out tree cavern as the bearded alien from a few pages ago stepped forth clutching the shiny metal head of Deborah Dwarfstar. Mungo Penfold passed the head from his lower arms to his upper arms and then to the woman's two arms. The woman held the skull aloft, revealing a finely toned arm clad in an elegant golden single suit peeking out from the darkness. Eons ago, the ancient guardians of our hallowed forest entrusted the sacred duty of attending to the trees to machines known as the Blessed Machina. She began. And as the great river of time flowed ever onwards, the machines... This monologue went on for some time, and after what seemed like hours of tedious and trite, faux medieval sub-Shakespearean expositional whiffle, it was explained to the besacked captives that artificial life forms of any kind, be they androids, gynoids, robomen, cyberbros, electro chicks, syntho dogs, digi blokes, or bins with faces drawn on them, were outlawed on Althinica by holy writ, because ages ago some robots went bad and there was a big fight. And lo, for the ultimate desecration of this most consecrated ground, I. High Priestess of the Guardians of the Talik Kalik Zokkafar sentenced the intruders to the death of a thousand stings. Speak your names, blasphemers, that they might be recorded in the ring binder of shame for all eternity. You'll get nothing from me, you ponty bent, and you can shovel this elfy nonsense right up your one ring. Barked a predictably bolshy Felicity Phobos. Phil? replied the woman. What? replied Phil. Bring her forth, ordered the shadowy lady, and remove the sack of imprisonment forthwith. Felicity was dragged forward to the foot of the wicker throne, and as the sack was quickly whipped off her head, taking several strands of her glossy red hair with it, she gazed up at a face she hadn't seen in a long, long time. Well, how about that? She said with a smile. I got a hunch. You're going to want to have a peek at the other one too. The woman motioned, and Carl was plopped down next to Phobos. With his sack firmly gripped in a cold blue hand, the rough fibres of the woven facial concealment apparatus scraped across his intermittently hairy face, and his eye adjusted to the gloom. Now he, too, looked upon the noble face of Olive Cabinet. The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles is a production of Dawnstar Audio, written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. The voice of Carl Dark Cruiser is T.L. Dawnstar. Felicity Phobos is Theodora C. Sinclair. And Olive Cabinet was played by Ginger Johnson. Get in touch via electronic mail using the address tldawnstar at gmail.com or via Twitter at tl underscore dawnstar. Next chapter, Guardians of the Starcone.